Today is Father's Day. Wow. Happy Father's Day, everybody. I have four kids of my own. They are wonderful. So, happy Father's Day to you. We're going to celebrate with you today. You know, dads, you're the protectors, the, the gatekeepers, the solidifying forces in your homes. At least I hope you are. You know, it's interesting now that more men are working from home more than ever before since, you know, 100 years ago when, when uh, farming was more prevalent and then the industrial age took over and, and men moved into industry and, and uh, other types of jobs than farming. So now with this pandemic, men are working more from home than ever before, which probably explains why uh, the mental health rate of men seeking help has tripled in the last couple of years. Uh, so I don't know if there's a correlation between them being at home, but uh, it could be. You know, we're only about two months into this pandemic when I saw my neighbor, who's a single dad, he was out scraping the, my kid's a terrific student uh, bumper sticker off his car. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not real bright, but I was just guessing the homeschooling thing wasn't going so well. So, <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago, I saw him out walking his dog, and I went up to talk to him, and he says, oh, man, he says, the homeschool stuff, this is just chaos, he says. This, this is going to take a miracle for us to get through it. <clears throat> and that's the subject I want to talk to you about today, the subject of miracles. Because I work with walking, living, breathing, talking miracles every day. It's the reason I love my job is I get to see people who actually have real change in their lives. Uh, I'll tell you a story about Greg. Greg was a biker. Greg left home when he was 16, and he never returned. His whole body was covered with tattoos. There was, I don't think there was an inch on his body that didn't have a tattoo on it, and I know because I baptized him. So uh, over the years, Greg had kind of drifted in and out of our lives at City Link. He had some handyman skills, and he'd come in when he needed work, and he did good work. And, uh, and then he would do something, we'd pay him, and he'd take the money and leave and go do his thing. And Greg was uh, laying a floor in, in my building one time, and I invited him to join a couple of the classes that I teach for drug court, uh, life skills classes. And he came in and sat down. He really seemed to enjoy them. Uh, and we had a lot of good talks. I don't think anything really came of it because then he left on his bike and I didn't see him again for about, I don't know, it was probably a year and a half, two years. And then he drifted back into town and he was looking for work. But he went over to see Dale, Dale Boyer is our director, and then they came over to see me, the two of them together. And Dale said, he said, Greg, I want you to tell Mike what you just told me. And Greg says, well, he says, uh, he has this real, real gravelly voice. He said, and when Dale said, I want you to tell Mike what you just told me, I'm thinking, oh no. Oh no, he's just confessed to killing somebody or something. So my heart just leaps. Greg says, Doc says, I got stage four liver cancer. He says, oh, I got about six weeks. And then he said, how come God's always messing with me? But he didn't use the word messing. So we talked a little bit about his choices in life and about the choices that he'd made and how God really hadn't made those choices he had. And, 
And uh, so we kind of talked through that. And then he, then he said, after a while, Greg said, he said, you think God could ever forgive me? I've done, I've done some pretty bad stuff in my life. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm just hearing some of it. <laughs> so we talked about that, and eventually we shared a prayer. And it was the most heartfelt, profanity-laced prayer I have ever heard in my life. And there's nothing I can share with you in church. It was really more of a confession than it was a prayer. But all throughout the prayer, Dale kept squeezing my hand tighter. And every time Greg would confess something more, he squeezed my hand tighter. Eventually, I'm going, oh, man, this is killing me here. <laughs> so, but at the end, at the end of the prayer, Greg said, he says, God, he says, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm sorry for all them things I've done. I, I wish I hadn't done them. Well, most of them anyway. <laughs> I mean, the guy's being honest, you know. Got to give him credit for being honest. You know, sometimes you just have to be content with small steps. So uh, after that, Greg rode off on his bike, and, and his girlfriend was behind him, and, and uh, this time he was headed to a convalescent home in Pennsylvania that his, his biker club maintained for old bikers who couldn't ride anymore or who were sick. It's actually kind of a sweet thing. But he went there to basically to die amongst his peeps. About a month later, Dale gets a check in the mail from Greg's girlfriend. Uh, he'd passed, and one of his last wishes was for her to sell the bike and give the money to CityLink. So I took a chance, and I called Greg's cell phone. I didn't have her number. I wanted to thank her and, and maybe talk about Greg's uh, last days. And she answered. And she said, uh, you know, she said, I don't, I don't know much about that, that church stuff that you guys do there, but I do know that Greg was a lot nicer to me in the, since you guys had that prayer with him. I wish he'd been like that all the time. But wow. There's a miracle. This rough, tough biker dude who had insignias that allowed him to get into any biking club and in the nation from Hell's Angels to Rough Riders to anybody else was really nice to her at the end. She thought it was amazing. That's God's work. That's, the, that's a miracle. That's the power of God in our lives. You know, almost every day, like I said, I work with walking, talking miracles. And so today I want to expand on this idea of miracles because God's power working with us people is nothing short of a miracle. <clears throat> I'm not preaching prosperity gospel stuff here. What I'm preaching is the power that we have to forgive people when our hearts have been hardened. The power to have a personal relationship with the creator God, the creator of all the heavens and the earth. That's power. The power to have for a heart to change, for a heart that has become hard and calloused and mean-spirited to become softer and kinder and more gentle. That's the power of the Christian faith. You know, and, and one, one thing I've found is that uh, you can't explain miracles scientifically. You just can't. You, can't. you can't explain a miracle by using reason or logic. I mean, it's just sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason to them. They don't make sense. They just happen. And trying to explain a, a miracle by using reason is really is to create a misplaced hope 
in a person's heart. We tend to think, as human beings, we tend to think, well, if God did this miracle of feeding people with you know, loaves and fishes and, and increasing their, their, the bounty of what's in the basket, then he'll increase my salary if I just have enough faith. That's prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. That's misplaced hope. The problem is we can get caught up looking for an exact replica of a miracle that happened in Scripture, but it's something Jesus did at a specific moment in time. It doesn't apply to us uh, specifically at, at this particular time. It's because God uses miracles to demonstrate his power. That's what he wants us to learn, not the specific miracle itself. So, what are miracles, really? What are they? What are we talking about? When we boil it down, they're really just snapshots. Snapshots of God at work. Of We can't explain them rationally or, or intellectually or reasonably. We just only explain them by faith. And I've got news for you. He still, he still does them. He still does miracles. He does them all the time. Uh, now, I want to flash back for just a minute here to October 30th of 1991. There was a boat called the Andrea Gale. Six men boarded this boat called the Andrea Gale, and they headed out into the North Atlantic uh, for a fishing trip. And suddenly, a nor'easter came up, and it just destroyed the whole East Coast. Billions and billions of dollars worth of damage, all the way from New Brunswick, all the way down the East Coast. Uh, the fishermen on the Andrea Gale found themselves right in the middle, in the teeth of the storm. Some of the buoys out in the ocean recorded waves over 100 feet high. Can you imagine that? And one of those big waves, one of those big waves hit the boat, hit the Andrea Gale and flipped it over. Another wave came along and just smashed it to smithereens. And all the sailors on the boat were lost at sea. The Port Arthur News called it the perfect storm. It was a storm that had seven different uh, circumstances happen, uh, either in sequence or, or that, uh, that converged at just the right time to create what they called the perfect storm. And that's where that quote comes from. That's where that terminology comes from, from the Port Arthur News in 1991. And now we use that phrase, the perfect storm, all the time to describe circumstances in our life you know, that have gone wrong and just, that we have no control over and, and things that cause chaos in our lives and turn our lives upside down. You know, it's like hearing that when you have cancer or Parkinson's or some other disease that uh, you just never expected to have. It's like suddenly you know, losing your job and having no expectation that that was going to happen. Uh, it's like suddenly uh, being served divorce papers, and you never saw it coming. You were clueless, and all of a sudden the papers show up, and you're wondering what to do. This is a perfect storm for me. You know, the ancients used to take this idea of, of, uh, that life was random and unpredictable and, and chaos could come out of nowhere and suddenly uh, everything's just in turmoil. Uh, they centered this idea, the ancients did, they centered this idea of chaos on the sea. The sea represented 
the center of their chaos. Because for them, the sea was deep and mysterious, and they thought if you ventured out in the sea, you were just asking for trouble. I hope our overseas missionaries know about that. So, they knew the sea could get angry fast, and that, that there was, when that happened, you were in big, big trouble. You know, the book of Job calls the sea Leviathan, the great dragon. They didn't necessarily believe it was a sea monster. What they believed in was that, that chaos was the monster. Chaos was the, <coughs> excuse me, the monster that could determine the outlook of your life. I remember when my two nephews were little, Tim and Tom, we watched them for a weekend, and uh, <laughs> we tucked them in, their parents were on vacation, and it was before we had kids, so this is a long, long time ago. Uh, we tucked them in that first night, and then we found out they were terrified of the boogeyman. Anybody ever been scared of the boogeyman when you're growing up? Okay, yeah. So we tried to reason with them. You know, I went around, I checked the windows, and I'd, I'd make sure the, the locks were on. I pulled all the drawers out, and I looked, nope, no boogeyman in here. And I looked in the closet, and, you know, no boogeyman in here. He's gone, and they're still, uh, and they're still scared. So I, I tried to explain it to them intellectually. Like, they were like, what, I don't know, two and four, or something like that. So, you know, like, how intellectual is that, trying to explain something intellectually to a two-year-old? I don't know. But I said, if, you know, if you can't see him and you can't hear him, isn't that the same as him just not being here? Well, they looked at me like I was the one who was crazy. So, you know, but this is what happens. It's because kids are so small and vulnerable. When you put them into bed at night, that's when they feel like they're at their most vulnerable position in life, their most helpless position. And... and Maybe what they're feeling just instinctively is what we as adults feel about the unpredictability of the world when chaos kind of spins things out of control. You know, when our plans for the future just get swept overboard, when our, we have a relationship that just gets turned upside down and, and our hearts just get smashed to pieces, when everything we know and love just kind of sinks to the bottom of the sea. Mm. There are times in my life, I think probably all of us have these times when all we can do is just survive. That's all we can do. Just survive. Thriving comes later. Thriving comes after maybe we've learned a few lessons along the way and the storms are over and we're emerging on the other side. We can begin to thrive. But the time we're going through it, Survival is all we're looking for. You know, I've been with drug addicts who are in detox. Oh my goodness, is it ugly? It's just ugly. Snot runs all over their face and, and they get these tremors through their whole bodies and, and uh, they get cramps and diarrhea and nausea and, and they're just in constant excruciating pain. Oh, it's awful. And alcohol is worse than drugs. I had one guy tell me that he felt like a mad dog, ready to attack and kill anybody who got in his way. He could have just ripped them apart with his teeth. He was just so crazed by his withdrawals. He wept uncontrollably for hours. But you know what? He survived. He survived. 
And now he's thriving. Now he's working at a rehab center, helping other addicts get clean. It's a marvelous story. I'm so proud of him. In a way, these kind of reactions, I think, are familiar to all of us. It's uh, when the perfect storm hits. It doesn't have to be drug-induced or alcohol-induced. It can be relationship-induced. It can be financial stress-induced. It can be depression-induced. When the storms hit, all we can do is just cry out to God for his help, for his safety, his comfort, his peace. And you know what? You want to hear some good news? He's ready to give it. He's ready to give it. All right, today we're going to look at a couple of stories. You're probably very familiar with them. A couple of miracles that happened. They're very similar. The first one's in Matthew chapter 8. It begins, it says, uh, then, then he got into the boat, meaning Jesus. <clears throat> then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Ah, oh, wow. That must have been a real experience. When uh, the first thing we notice is that the disciples followed Jesus onto the boat. They're just going about their lives. Just day to day, just day to day going about their lives. They had... No hint that anything drastic was going to happen to them. Uh, totally unsuspecting. And uh, the text says, suddenly, suddenly, a storm came up. It came out of nowhere. It just, and it wasn't just any old run-of-the-mill rainstorm. The text says the storm was furious. Ladies, have you ever been furious with your spouse for something kind of stupid that he did? Probably not in this crowd. No, these are all good guys here. <laughs> guys, have you ever been just, just furious with your boss or a coworker just because they were so stinking lazy you couldn't stand it? Now, I remember one time when I was a kid, I got caught skipping school, and then I tried to lie my way out of it. Oh boy, my dad was furious with me. <laughs> I paid a price too. <laughs> oh, I said, is there something that's happened ever in your life that took you beyond being mad to where you were just furious? That's what the Bible's trying to describe about this storm. It's not just any old storm, this was a furious storm. The New Living Version. Uh, of the Bible calls it a violent storm. The, the King James Bible calls, refers to it as a tempest. In any case, the, the waves are crashing all around them. The New American Version of the Bible says the waves were sweeping over the boat. Guys are just holding on, just fingernails dug into a piece of wood somewhere, trying to, trying to hold on to keep from being swept overboard and... Jesus is sleeping. Obviously, he was not a guy who had motion sickness. Okay? 
So, what, what the text means when it says Jesus was sleeping, it means he had such trust and faith in the Father that just nothing bothered him. No circumstances bothered him. He could, he could sleep through anything because he had that kind of trust in his Father. It wasn't that he didn't care. He just had that kind of trust. When sudden storms arrive in your life and you call on Jesus for help, you ever feel like he's just sleeping? Sometimes all you get is that nagging feeling that he's just saying, have a little more faith. And you're going, really? That's the answer? More faith? I want out of this. Oh, help me, Jesus, please. You know, we see this same story in the book of Mark. In, verse th- in chapter 4, Mark Mark. 35 through 41. In verse 38, the disciples say, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? I mean, you ever feel like that? You're just drowning, drowning in chaos, and you wonder if Jesus really cares. I mean, I have. I've been there some. There's times I've been there. But then, and then there's times when the chaos we bring it on ourselves. It's our own dumb choices, our own decisions. We bring the chaos on ourselves. And when that happens, I've, I've had this tendency to think, well, you know, that was dumb. I got myself into this. I guess I got to get myself out of it. Well, the problem with that logic, that kind of logic, is that then we become so, so internally focused, we don't really call on Jesus for help. We don't recognize even when he's present and willing to help. Because... Our whole focus is turned inward. We think, we did this, we got to get out of it. But the truth is, he cares. He wants to help. He wants to be there for you. Uh, you know, and then the text also says, Jesus got up and he, he rebuked the winds and the waves. He suggests to the disciples, he says, have a little more faith, but it's a suggestion. You know, it would really help you out if you had a little more faith here, guys. But he rebukes the chaos. Not the disciples. What, what he's doing is, is he's making it okay. He's making it okay to be afraid. It's okay. When times are tough, when stress hits, when you're depressed, when you've lost a job, when you don't know where to turn and you're confused and you're afraid, it's okay. Jesus says it's okay. He didn't rebuke the disciples for their fears. He rebuked the chaos. Now there's another story in Matthew, kind of similar to this, in, in chapter 14, where Jesus walks on water. And you guys know the story. You know, he, the, the storm, Jesus stays in on shore. He does, he's doing a little Bible study, and the disciples go off and fish. And basically, same thing happens. The winds come up, and it's blowing big waves over the boat, and, and Jesus walks on water out, out to the boat, and, uh, you know, and he calls to Peter, and Peter gets out, and he takes a few steps and, by faith, and, and then he sinks, and, and, uh, and Jesus pulls him up. You guys know the story, and when we read that passage, we tend to think, I've heard, I've heard sermons on that a hundred times probably in my lifetime. We tend to think that the, the miracle is Jesus walking on water, I don't know. 
it could be, I'm not going to argue that point, but in my opinion, the real miracle, the real miracle isn't him walking on water. He's God. Of course he can walk on water. He can do anything he wants. I think the miracle is that when we're, we're buffeted by these violent storms, when waves are washing over the boat, when you know the truck just is backed up and just dumped all its stuff on us, and we're just, there's chaos all around us. We don't know what to do. It doesn't matter if it's a storm of our own making or if it's our own decisions or if, uh, if it's created by circumstances. It doesn't matter what happens. This is the cool, all right, listen to this. This is the cool part. Jesus comes out to meet us in the middle of the storm. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how violent the storm is. Jesus comes out to meet us in the middle of the storm to be with us. I just think that's exceptional. I love that part. You know, so what's the point? What's the point to these two stories? Okay. When I'm surrounded by chaos, I start with the first miracle. I start by waking him up. See, there's this guy named Billy Graham who impressed on me on August the 17th, 1972, that God loves me. And he loves me unconditionally. And I can't seem to let go of that fact. So I'm not shy about asking for Jesus for help. But most of the time, most of the time, we're not in the first miracle. We're in the second one. We're in the second one. See, we all want Jesus to change our circumstances. When the chaos is going on around us, and it gets confusing, and we just, and, and we don't, you know, we don't know where to turn. We want Jesus to just step in and go, stop! Everything stops. That's the one we want. <laughs> That's the miracle we want. He, he can do that. I mean, he's God. He can do that. But it's the second miracle that's more common. It's where he comes to us in the middle of the most dire circumstances. And he gives us peace. He gives us peace in the middle of those circumstances. You know, if you're in the first miracle, you may have cancer, you want to pray, God, oh, take this cancer away. And well, well, okay, he might, he might not. I mean, he can. I'm not saying he can't. He can. But more likely, He'll walk with you through the cancer. He'll walk with you through the tough circumstances. He'll walk with you through the addiction. He'll walk with you through the rehab, through the withdrawals. He'll walk with you through that. That's the second miracle. You might still have a broken relationship. You might want God to just say, heal this relationship, just make it better. And he can but it's the second miracle where he'll walk through that relationship with you and help it to heal. That's what's so exciting. You know, either way, first miracle or second, God's there with you. He's there for you. You know, the disciples were scared to death, so Jesus said, take courage, it is I. That's not, not a particularly good translation. It kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, hey guys, hey, it's me. I'm, I'm walking out to you on the water, by the way, in case you didn't notice. You know, 
Uh, but that's not what he's saying. What he's, if we dig a little deeper, Jesus is really saying, take courage because I am. It's the same language he used with Moses when he said, tell them the great I am sent you, the great creator God sent you. When they ask what my name is, tell them I am has sent me to you. And he's walking out there. I am the great creator God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's out there in the middle of the storm, walking through it just to get to you, to put his arm around you, and to be with you. Why? Because he loves you. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's just great news. And it's just that simple. It's really, it's just, it's just that simple, unconditionally. He loves you. But, and just like any good father loves his children, with all our faults, with all our problems, with all the issues that we have. He still loves us. He still loves us. And, you know, and maybe that's the greatest miracle of all. So dads, today, when you go home, dads, I want you to go home and tell your wife and your kids you love them unconditionally. Tell them there's nothing they can do that would ever destroy that love and whatever they're walking through right now, you're right there with them. You're going to walk through it with them. Go home and if there's any chaos going on in your house, just hold up your hand and say, stop. I'm here. I got my friend Jesus with me. We're going to walk through this with you. And if you can do that, You'll find a miracle today.